Good morning. So several people have asked me over the years what I drink when I'm up here. I'm not telling you. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord, thank you for drinks. And Lord, thank you for these people. I pray, Lord, that you would open the scriptures up to us. Whatever you want us to hear. I know we have these verses to talk about and through just your supernatural way of doing things, you can speak to us in regards to anything going on to our life and not necessarily what's coming out of a text. But we do pray, Lord, that we would understand it more, not just for head knowledge and not just for conviction, but that there is transformation. In Jesus' name, amen. Who's been here since the start of this study? Luke. Really, that many? I didn't drive more of you away? It's been like over three years, hasn't it? Two more weeks. So, (laughs) two more weeks. This section of Scripture that we're looking at today is, is really fascinating, and it's a really crucial section of Scripture because this is where Jesus gave them an interpretation. He gave them an explanation of the Scriptures. And this is critical because facts in themselves don't result in faith, they don't result in belief, right? Think about this, right? Facts themselves are ambiguous, really. For example, if I told you Jesus died on the cross, now there's no arguing that fact, right? You, you can't argue that fact. That is a historical event recorded by not just Christians, but also by Jews, also by pagans, also by secular folks. So this is not a fictitious event. This is a historical event. So we know as a fact that it happened. What we don't know is why. But you have the facts. The facts is that Jesus died on the cross, right? The fact is that he hung there over 2,000 years ago, and you can't argue that. But why? Why did he die? And that, we can argue, why he died. That's what's so vital about this section of Scripture because Jesus explained why and he interpreted the Scriptures for his followers. And what we have in our Bibles is not just a historical recording of what happened, but why it happened. The historical fact is that Jesus died, but the Bible gives us the explanation, the interpretation of why He died. And this is why. He died for our sins. That is why. He interprets this. And we can look at Romans chapter 5. We can look at 1 Corinthians 15. We can look at 2 Corinthians 5. We can look at 1 Thessalonians 5. And there are many other scriptural references. The Bible tells us why. And it's not how we feel, right? Have you been in those Bible studies? Well, how do you feel about this verse? That's nice. Let's move on. Or what we think. Well, I think this means the Bible interprets itself. The Bible explains itself. So when somebody asks why Jesus died on the cross, we must point to our sin. That's what we have to point to. He died for our sin. So we can have reconciliation, peace between a holy God and a sinful man through His blood. And the Scripture backs up that claim. Now in 1 Colossians 1, verse 20, it reads, "...and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross." 
So we must explain and interpret with the Scriptures and go deeper than just facts that He died. When a crime is committed, what do investigators always look for? They look for a motive. They look for why. Because the fact that something happened, that a crime was committed, is not the complete truth. Yet they investigate so that they can get the whole truth and they dig deeper and they look for that motive. We know Jesus died on the cross. The world knows Jesus died on the cross. But why? Now John does this for us. He kind of does this fact-finding and he does this interpretation, explanation in 1 John chapter 1. Let me just read that for us, starting in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it. So here are the facts. He's given us the facts. And proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Explanation. Interpretation. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things. Facts. They are writing this stuff. So that our joy may be complete. Explanation. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you. The facts. And then this is the explanation. That God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. The Interpretation. The Scriptures do that. Who is Jesus? Why did He die? It's explained in the Bible. Not by one's personal emotions. Not an incomplete knowledge of the Scriptures of what I think without the whole counsel of God. It's in the Scriptures. So here we have Jesus giving us His interpretation, His explanation, starting verse 44. Then He said to them, These are My words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about Me in the Law of Moses and prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now what Jesus did here was similar to what He did for the guys on the road to Emmaus. Right Earlier in the chapter, we, we did that about two weeks ago maybe three, and you recall that their eyes were kept from recognizing Jesus, right? Luke 24, same chapter, look back to verse 17. And he, Jesus, said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. 
Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Now at this point of the story, I kind of wonder why Jesus didn't reveal himself. Right? Why he was like, Doi! Like, I'm back! Like, you know, like what? See, no one saw him yet, right? And these guys were caught up with seeing him. Seeing him. And they were so caught up with physically seeing him that they missed him entirely when he was right there with them. And they needed to see some evidence to prove what had happened. And what the angels told those women, that wasn't good enough. They had to see it. But Jesus didn't reveal that to them yet. What did he do? He schooled them Old Testament style, right? He gave them a complete Old Testament survey. And he just gave them a good old-fashioned Bible study. That's what he did. Right, look at verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. Then Cleopas and his friend, they urged Jesus to strongly stay. They invited him to stay. And prior to them eating, Jesus took the bread. He broke it as was the custom before a meal. And then their eyes were opened. They recognized him and he vanished. Now back to verse 24. But him they did not see. This is how this started. And it wasn't until verse 31 that Cleopas and his friend did see Jesus. Then Jesus went on to reveal Himself to many other people the following days. And even though none of us have seen Jesus like these guys had the opportunity to see, none of us can repeat verse 24, but Him they did not see. Because the Bible records for us that our Christian predecessors did in fact see Jesus. And so we've met Jesus in the Bible. We've met Jesus in the Scriptures. And our evidence of why Jesus died and rose from the dead from the grave is in the Bible. That's just a book. How can you take that so seriously? It's just a book of stories. Don't jump to those conclusions without looking at how Jesus Himself used the Scriptures to lead Cleopas and his friend to understanding. That Jesus Himself didn't say like, hey, it's me. There. There. Accept it. There. I'm gone now. He took them through the Scriptures to show them this and to help them to understand. And so in verse 27, and beginning with Moses and the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Now let's go to our section of Scripture this morning. Verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus was telling them, I told you these things already. When I was with you, I told you all this stuff. And everything written about me in the Scriptures, that's true. Listen to that stuff. Then verse 45, Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Without God, you can't understand the Scriptures. It's impossible. You can gain knowledge from it just like any other textbook. You can learn from it as literature or history or poetry or philosophy, but you won't understand in a way that revolutionizes your life without God. You won't change without God. You can gain morality even. 
You can become a better person because it can change your behavior. But your understanding of the Scriptures is severely incomplete without God. Oftentimes, looking at just the facts, that sidetracks us from our faith. For example, the cross. And so we have the facts of the cross. The whole world has the facts of the cross. In fact, the cross is so popular, you see it all the time. Don't you? Jewelry, clothing, album covers, whatever it may be. It's all over the place. It is so prominent. Stickers, everything. And I think people know enough to connect the cross to Jesus. The world does. The cross and Jesus go hand in hand. It's just part of our culture. You can't live in the United States and say that you don't know what that is. It's not a hidden thing. It's all over the place. You go down to Daly City and there's like millions of them. Right? It's all over. And I think most people in our culture, in our country, know what the cross is as a fact. But that hasn't changed our culture. That hasn't changed our country. Because it's just a fact. That's all it is. Fact. Jesus died on the cross. Yay. A fact that a lot of people know about, but that's probably the extent people can tell you about the cross. They can't tell you why. Because if they told you why, they would have to admit their sin. Where will we find a deeper understanding of Jesus and the cross? It's in the Scriptures. It's in the Bible. And it's only when God opens our mind that we will understand the Scriptures. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10. That won't apply to your faith unless God opens your mind. Yet you may understand that intellectually, but does that transform you? Let me read this to you. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Isaiah chapter 53 is a prophecy by Isaiah about the Messiah, Jesus. But you won't understand that. You just read that as a textbook and you're just like, oh, I don't know. What about 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21? For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you know that verse just as a piece of literature? Or has your mind been opened by God to understand what God has for you in that verse? What about Romans chapter 5, verse 9? Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. Simply a story to you? Or what does that do for your faith? 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jumping to 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loves us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Have you heard someone say, you know, that's all good for you. That's good for you, but you know, it's not for me. What? Dairy might be good for you, but not for me. Right? I mean, and meat might be good for you, but not for me. I mean, who am I kidding? That's not true. Meat is good for me. These canines were made for that. But what if someone said, oxygen is good for you, but not so much for me? Wake up! You're alive! Or are you, zombie? Okay, enough of me. What? I mean, you're crazy. 
oxygen's good for you, not for me. That's stupid. First John chapter 2, verse 2. He is the propitiation for our sins. Not he may be. Right? He is. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. But that doesn't make sense to someone whose mind is not opened by God to understand the Scriptures. They just look at it as dairy. Right? It's not oxygen. And the Scriptures are critical to our spiritual lives. The Scriptures reorient us so that we don't get led astray or that we don't get lost. What did Jesus do to Cleopas and his friend on the road to Emmaus? He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. What did Jesus do for these guys in that locked room? Verse 45, He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning with Jerusalem. Nothing new, right? Jesus has said this multiple times. You look back to Luke chapter 9, verses 44 through 45. Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand His saying. And it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask Him about this saying. Well, what Jesus said in Luke chapter 24 verses 46 through 47, was referring back to when he said these things in Luke chapter 9, verse 22, Luke chapter 9, verse 44, Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through 34. Let's look at chapter 9, verse 22. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and must be killed and on the third day be raised. Luke 18, verses 31 through 34. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said." They didn't understand what Jesus was saying in Luke 9, in Luke 18. And it wasn't until Luke 24 when Jesus opened their minds to the Scriptures that they understood. Now, how many of us still don't understand? We're still in Luke 9. We're still in Luke 18. But we haven't reached Luke 24 where we've gained understanding because Jesus opened our minds. How many of us are still stuck in Luke 9 and Luke 18? Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Now, in one word, what summarizes this? Salvation. Salvation. So did God make a mistake? Did God make a mistake? And so in order to correct the mistake, we need to send Jesus. Is that why? No, that is not why. Jesus did not enter the matrix and you know do all that kind of stuff. God does not make mistakes. Okay? And it was God's plan all along to redeem His children who are separated from Him due to sin. And He gave us this freedom to choose, this free will, and we chose foolishly. We chose to be in bondage to sin when we were given freedom. We chose death 
when we were given life. We chose darkness when we were given light. And God, our loving Father, knew what we'd do. And He had a plan all along to redeem all of our poor choices. Right? To save us from sin. He would send His Son, Jesus, to redeem us. To offer us salvation. Jesus would do whatever necessary to bring us back to God. 1 Peter 3.18, right? He brought us back to God. And the Holy Spirit would actively work in our lives in that salvation journey. And this is what Jesus said, and this is what is written in the Scriptures. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So in essence, what we have here in verses 46-47 through 47 is a summary of the Bible. All right, let's break this down a little bit further and let's pay particular attention to the verbs. Okay? In the Greek, the verbs here are infinitive verbs, meaning that they are verbs that have a to in front of it. For example, I can't afford to eat out every night. Or let's agree to disagree. So you see that infinitive verb where the two has to be in front of that. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense, right? Let's agree, disagree. It doesn't make sense. You have to add the two there. So verses 46 through 47 use infinitive verbs, which is not how it's translated in our translations, if you notice. It's not done that way in our ESV Bibles. So now let's look at these verses with infinitive verbs plugged into them. Thus it is written... For the Christ to suffer, and on the third day to rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins to be proclaimed in His name to all nations. So we have to suffer, to rise, and to be proclaimed. When you read it that way, isn't it a lot different? Because should does not get across the same urgency or command. When we use should, it makes it sound like an obligation. When we use should, it makes it sound like there's another option. You should do this, but maybe not. You can do this. But that's not how this is written. Jesus should suffer? He should rise? Maybe not. Right? And and so with the infinitive verbs, it's just a matter of fact. It's just, that's the way it is. It is written for the Christ to suffer and to rise. There is no other option. This is not dairy. This is oxygen. And this is not done out of obligation. Oh, I just feel so sorry for them. No, this is because you're going to die. There's nothing else I can do. I have to go. Otherwise, you're dead. This is just the way it is. And repentance and forgiveness is to be proclaimed. Not should. It should be proclaimed. You don't have to say anything. There is no other option. It is to be proclaimed. And we're not doing it out of obligation. It's because you're going to die without it. You're going to die in your sins. And so we do this out of love, knowing that there's no other option. There's no other option given. Repentance and forgiveness is to be proclaimed. And so through the Gospel... That's just the way it is. 
And this is the mission of the church to go out to the world for repentance and forgiveness of sins to be proclaimed in His name to all nations. To proclaim to each person who has not repented or received forgiveness of their sins that it's available to them through Jesus. And this is our mission. This is our purpose. To proclaim the Gospel in Jesus' name to all nations. And it began in Jerusalem because that's where they were at. That's where they were at. It begins wherever you're at. God's not a racist. It's not like, oh, it has to be there. He's not classist. He's not sexist. He's not partial as to who the Gospel is to be proclaimed. We are to proclaim in His name to all nations. God said in Psalm chapter 46, verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Isaiah 49, 6, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Simeon said in Luke chapter 2 when he held Jesus, baby Jesus, Not big Jesus, that would have been hard. Just baby Jesus. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Matthew 28, 19. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. God's intent is for us to reach the entire world. All peoples. The mission field is Every nation. John wrote in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9-10, through 10, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All nations. All tribes, all peoples, all languages. Now back to Luke 24, verses 46 through 47. Read the way that it's translated with infinitive verbs. Thus it is written, For the Christ to suffer, and on the third day to rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins to be proclaimed in His name to all nations. You are witnesses of these things. Now, who are these witnesses? Who is Jesus referring to? The people in that room. Right? And reading on Luke's next book, the book of Acts, you'll understand this. And I had a temptation to continue on with the book of Acts, but then that would have been another like two and a half years, and I didn't want to do that to you. So we're going to mix it up. We'll go Old Testament, and then we'll we'll come back some other time. But look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then you go to Acts chapter 2, verse 32. After Pentecost, Peter said this, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. He's talking about the people with him. And then you go into Acts chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. This is Peter again. And he and John, they just healed the guy at the beautiful gate who wasn't able to walk. He rose and started celebrating and picking up in verse 14. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. 
Acts chapter 5, verses 29 through 32. Peter and the apostles addressed the council and the high priest who are really mad at them because they told them to be quiet and they wouldn't be quiet about this stuff. And so this is what Peter responded with, verse 29. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on the tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Acts 10, starting in verse 34. This is Peter at Cornelius' house. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. Now jump to verse 39. And we are witnesses of all that He did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put Him to death by hanging Him on a tree, but God raised Him on the third day and made Him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with Him after He rose from the dead. And lastly, Acts chapter 13, verse 31. Paul was in the synagogue in Pisidia, and he addressed the people there in that synagogue, and he said this, For many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now witnesses to the people. Now why do we go through all those verses about witnesses in the book of Acts? Because this is often misinterpreted, and I wanted to point this out. Because many people interpret Luke 24, verse 48 as us. That we're the witnesses. That we witnessed those things. And we didn't. If you did, I mean, you're old. Right? But you didn't. We weren't there. It was the people who were there. It's not to say that we are not witnesses. We're just not those eyewitnesses. We're not eyewitnesses. But we aren't the ones referenced in verse 48. We aren't in a place to make the claims that they made in the book of Acts. We couldn't say the same things that they said in the book of Acts, which doesn't mean that we aren't witnesses. It's just that our witness is dependent on what we find in the Bible. It is dependent on the Bible. The Bible dictates our witness. The Bible interprets for us what it means and dictates what and why we witness. It's not how we feel. It's not what we think. It is the Scriptures. Verse 49, And behold, I am sending the promise of My Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Back to Luke chapter 11, verse 13, where Jesus said, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The fact They stayed in Jerusalem until they received the Holy Spirit. That's a fact. And the continuation of this story is found in the book of Acts, and you can look up all those facts too. Now what's the evidence? What's the proof? We're here 2,000 years later. Right? We're here worshiping the same Jesus that they did back then. The interpretation, it's in the book of Acts, starting in chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's why. That's the interpretation. This is our mission. To continue the work of repentance and forgiveness of sins, proclaiming in His name to all nations. Let's pray.
Father, may we be faithful to the mission that you have given to us. May we continue the work of sharing your gospel, knowing that repentance and the forgiveness of sins only comes through you. And Jesus, may we proclaim your name to all the nations. I ask God for your blessing upon the people here. Lord, I pray for anyone who may not have a relationship with you, that you would open their mind to the scriptures, that this would be more than just gaining knowledge for them, more than something that just kind of stirs them emotionally, but that they would gain the understanding because you opened it up to them and they are able to see. And if this is you, repeat this prayer with me in faith. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for bringing me, a sinful person, to a holy God that I can have relationship with God as it was meant to be. I'm not in full understanding of what's going on, but I have faith that you're going to help me because you love me. In Jesus' name, amen.